Aohea oko eko ka aha. Inahe kuliana imua okea aha ho okolo kolo ki eke hano hano okomoku aina o Hawaii. Inaui mai, imaliu mai, ilohi ia kaleo. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all persons having any business before this honorable Supreme Court of the State of Hawaii, draw nigh, give your attention, and you shall be heard. Inoho ilalo, please be seated. Good morning, aloha everyone. Today's proceeding is being broadcast live on the Judiciary's YouTube channel as well as on the Lola. This is the first time court is convening in session since the fires on Maui last week. Out of respect for those who lost their lives, who join me in serving the moment of silence. I'd like to welcome our substitute justices, Judge Ronald Johnson and Judge John Tanaka. Counsel, are you both ready to proceed today? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. All right. Mr. Boutros, uh, 30 minutes for each side. You uh, will have 24 minutes for your opening, 6 minutes for rebuttal, and Mr. Curry, you have 30 minutes for your Please proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, Theodore Boutros for defendants. This case presents important questions regarding whether our federal constitutional structure allows the plaintiffs to invoke state law to bring tort claims to address injuries they allege are caused by global greenhouse gas emissions and global climate change. We respectfully submit that the answer is no for three closely related but independent reasons. Number one, as the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit held in the City of New York case, our federal constitutional system, including basic principles of federalism, mandates that only federal law can be applied in this context, and state law cannot be used because of the inherently international and interstate nature of the claims. Two, federal due process precludes the assertion of personal jurisdiction over the non-resident defendants because plaintiffs' claims for damages from global greenhouse gas emissions are not sufficiently related to any specific activities in Hawaii. And three, the Federal Clean Air Act preempts state law claims seeking damages for interstate emissions. I'm going to delve right into the exclusive because it's directly on point. It is dispositive and it disposes of the entire case with respect to all defendants. <clears throat> in that case, um, even though it was brought in federal court in the first instance, New York City alleged state law tort claims under New York law, uh, just like the plaintiffs do here, uh, against the defendant oil companies. Uh, and they, the, one of the core allegations was exactly the allegation here, that the defendants had engaged in deception, misrepresentation, concealment in the sale of their products and, and the city sought damages for the, dam uh, the harm caused in New York by global emissions and global climate change. So it's exactly the same scenario we face here. The Second Circuit rejected those claims as a matter of law. The court said, even though the New York um, really took a similar approach to the plaintiffs here and said, we're not really talking about global emissions. This is a local controversy. Um, the Second Circuit saw through that and said, uh, based on the face of the complaint, that stripped to its essence, the question before us is whether a nuisance suit seeking to recover damages for the harm caused by the global greenhouse gas emissions may proceed under New York law. Our answer is simply no. Uh, and so holding, and I think this is really crucial because I mentioned federal constitutional structure and I want to explain what I mean by that, <clears throat> that the court said, quote, for over a century, a mostly unbroken string of cases has applied federal law to disputes involving interstate air or water pollution. And for that uh, proposition, and the court relied on those cases, uh, it, those cases included the Supreme Court's decision in AEP, American Electric Power, which was a climate change case, where the US Supreme Court, in a unanimous opinion authored by Justice Ginsburg, recognized that, quote, the basic scheme of the Constitution 
demands that federal law apply in these circumstances because of the um, inherent interstate and international uh, scope and sweep. And it relied on Mil Milwaukee One, which the Supreme Court, uh, in which the Supreme Court declared that basic interests of federalism require that federal law be the, the governing, the only governing body of law when we're talking about air and water in their interstate or ambient um, aspects. Your Honor, that's on page 429 of the AEP decision. I think it's really important to note that when the court said that, it was pointing to the Supreme Court's decision in Wallette, which was a Clean Water Act preemption case. And in Wallette, the Supreme Court held that while a case of, about pollution would preclude one state from applying its own law to out-of-state emissions or their water pollution, um, it didn't preempt claims where the state, the state or the plaintiff applied the forum state of the polluter. And so the Supreme Court cited that exact provision uh, when it made these points, Chief Justice Recknerwald. It's the parenthetical <clears throat> right after the sentence. Grieved individuals for bringing a nuisance claim pursuant to the law of the source state. So here that would mean uh, it, it would be a claim brought in Hawaii, potentially, and then the question would be preemption, of every jurisdiction in the country, every jurisdiction in the world, because this case is not about in-state or the emissions in one particular state. It is over and over again in the complaint, all about, just like New York, emissions around the world, the plaintiffs in paragraph 171 of the complaint, candidly admit, just like in New York, it's impossible to tell where the emissions are coming, where the molecules are coming from. The Supreme Court said in, um, in AEP that we can't tell whether some effect or um, the emissions came from New Jersey that had, or China that may have had an effect in New York or some other jurisdiction. So are you now arguing causation instead of whether or not there is a claim upon which relief can be granted? No, Your Honor. Um, the point I'm making is that the plaintiff's claim hinges on the global effects of global emissions, and that was the issue in the city of New York case. But it appears that the plaintiffs are arguing that their complaint is based on alleged <coughs> fraudulent or misleading advertising, um, uh, marketing of uh, the lack of dangers of fossil fuels um, instead of arguing that, arguing actions that took place in other locations. So how, why is that not a state your, uh, tort claim? Your Honor, it, it, if they were, and I, I, I challenge Mr. Scher to explain, to, to limit his claim to in-state alleged misrepresentations. They don't allege a specific uh, misrepresentation in Hawaii at all. But what they do do, Justice McKenna, is they go on for probably 60 pages talking about alleged misrepresentations and concealment around the United States uh, that they claim increased global gas emissions. Uh, and that caused climate change in the, in the Earth's atmosphere. So it is global. It's just like New York. And I think Mr. Scher is going to probably not agree that this is just, just like in New York. Was so in your view, which court would be proper to bring a a claim like this? Well, in, th in this circumstance, our, the, as the Second Circuit held, that for tort claims that in, in this area of interstate and international uh, activity, it, only federal law can govern. And then the question is, does federal law recognize a cause of action? But you, you did remove it. It was remanded. The, the, your appeal was denied. Cert was denied. And we're now back in state court. Correct, Your Honor. And 
and our argument is that the court should reverse and order dismissal because state law claims, state law, in the words of the Supreme Court in the Second Circuit, simply cannot be used here. There, it's, it's foreclosed as a matter of federalism, foreign policy, and in the city of New York, the court found exactly that, and those were state law claims. But presumably, presumably, the Ninth Circuit and the United States Supreme Court were aware of the city of New York case and still affirmed the remand. They, they did, Your Honor, and the city of New York case talks about this exact issue. There, the question wasn't the merits, which we're arguing. And Mr. Scherer is going to say all these other courts have rejected arguments. None of them rejected it on the merits. And in fact, every court that has confronted the merits of these questions, going back probably 20 years, um, have said that there are no, in, in either in federal court or state law claims, that can be applied here because it's a global issue. It's a global problem. And the city of New York confronted this exact argument. And, so again, which federal court should this be filed in, in your view? Well, we think if it was filed in a federal court, the result would be the same, that there's no federal claim either because the Clean Air Act displaces the, um, the, the in-country, in the United States emissions. In, in the briefs, uh, uh, the defendants were arguing that it was actually federal common law that displaced, and now you're dropping that argument because clearly federal common law is no longer valid in this area, correct? We're not dropping that argument at all, Your Honor. Our okay. argument is that the it, it does indeed displace uh, state law, but the, so I mean, I'll just walk. So through. you're continuing with your argument that federal common law displaces yes, state law. Here. Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and that's what the Supreme Court held in AEP. That's what the Ninth Circuit held in Kivalina on a damages claim. And Did it hold that in AEP? Is that a fair statement with that caveat in the case that said the, the, uh, the uh, validity of L non of the state claims is something that will have to be determined in light of the preemptive effect of the Clean Air Act? And if you look at the Clean Air Act, there does not appear to be uh, a, an intent to preempt all state law claims. Would, would you agree with that proposition? Um, I think AAP absolutely held that the uh, Clean Air Act preempted claims based on interstate, and in, there was just interstate emissions, so global warming claims. What it left open is a claim, that, a much simpler claim than the one being advanced here. And, and I know Mr. Sherrod does not agree that his claim is only about emissions from one state and application of that state's law. It can't be. They admit over and over again that the case is about all the emissions around the globe mixed together. No one can tell where the emissions came from and then the, the effect of those emissions on the Earth's atmosphere. So I do think, Your Honor, that AEP is absolutely clear here. Kivalin is absolutely clear that the kind of claims being brought here are preempted. The Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act do leave that, I think the Second Circuit called it a slim reservoir of state common law that could be applied where a plaintiff sues an, someone in another state for pollution. They can argue that the law of the source state applies and the Clean Water Air Act would not preempt that because the Clean Air Act is a uh, cooperative federalism rule that allows states to regulate emissions in their own state. Uh, what they can't do is seek to regulate emissions in another state or here around the world. What about the removal cases? The Boulder, Baltimore uh, cases, and Rhode Island cases that, that seem to reject, well, they clearly reject the notion uh, that there is any federal common law left, and it would seem to support Mr. Schur's argument that whatever, there is nothing left uh, that could have an effect on state law. What's, what's your reaction to a response to that? Um, our response to that is, this is the city of New York, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this case, the case so... I hope I don't drive you crazy, but it's directly on point, and all these arguments were made there. So the issues are squarely presented for this court. And in the city of New York, the court first looked at those other removal cases and said, those are distinguishable. They were on the heightened removal statute, and many of them said, we are not ruling on the merits of the defendant's claims about federal law displacing and being the only law that could govern. So they, they, those issues just weren't decided. But the Second Circuit said it found the, the argument about state law <coughs> snapping back into action too strange to seriously contemplate. And the reason it said was 
um, state law was never in action for the reasons I began with, that um, state law cannot be applied to interstate, international, global activity to impose tort damages because it intrudes in the prerogatives of other states. It intrudes on international bodies. It intrudes on the federal government's uh, prerogatives. And the, the court also cited Mills. Congress speaks. Hasn't the, hasn't the equation shifted a little bit? In other words, maybe that was the lay of the land for decades and decades, but then Congress spoke both in the Clean Water and Clean Air Act con um, context and uh, displaced the federal law, set up a system of regulation which does not, on its face at least, and I'm very interested in if, if, if you disagree, appear to preempt all state law claims. So whatever the sort of backdrop may have been, once Congress has spoken, doesn't that equation or doesn't that backdrop um, become less relevant? Because you're saying it matters intensely, but one might argue instead that now there is a, a sort of different lay of the land. Your Honor, I respectfully disagree with that proposition because at that, you know, AEP, as I said, the court said there was a very narrow type of claim where you could sue uh, someone from another state for activities in that other state under the law of that other sort state, the source of the pollution. Here, plaintiffs want to apply Hawaii law to conduct in every jurisdiction in the United States and every jurisdiction around the planet. And, and it's in alleged concealment, alleged misrepresentations around the world that they say are tortious and caused a tortious level of emissions. The Clean Air Act and AEP is very, very powerful on this, as is the Second Circuit's decision. AEP says that the EPA is tasked by the Clean Air Act with striking a complex balance between protecting our environment, which of course is important, and grappling with climate change, but balancing that against our energy needs caused by going too far. And those are complex issues of international and national policy. That's what AEP said. And, and I would just put it this way. Here, plaintiffs are arguing, um, accepted their argument during the hearing on this point, but it's not in their complaint, that what's the problem? All you have to do is stop making these alleged misrepresentations. Well, the problem is, number one, they're saying that Hawaii tort law would become the, the, the policing mechanism for the entire world regarding marketing of oil and gas products, regarding the type of warnings. And they're saying, if you just do what we say, what Honolulu says, uh, around the world, don't worry about it. That's, that's the definition of regulation by tort, which City of New York noted, that, and the Supreme Court has said damage awards can have a regulatory effect because to avoid the damages, you need to take behavior, and here it would be around the world, to try to um, avoid being hit with these big damage awards. So um, it's, it's and here to the failure to warn, for example, it would be the failure to warn defined by Hawaii law that would, according to plaintiffs, would have to be complied with around the world um, in order to mitigate the type of damage awards Hawaii is seeking or Honolulu is seeking. The other thing is that other states are doing the same thing, and that's where I come back to the federalism issues that, that really animate this notion that only federal law can apply in this context, that because each state gave up some sovereignty to the federal government to be part of the United States, federalism principles say that when there's an issue of truly national scope, that's for the federal government. And so going back to your question, Your Honor, the Clean Air Act does give room for state activities. And AEP talked about this, City of New York talked about it. States have the power to establish emission standards for in-state emissions. But when it's out of state, they can petition the EPA, they can bring lawsuits against the EPA. Your Honor asked about where would lawsuits be filed. AEP talked about that. You can bring a lawsuit challenging EPA action. So there are remedies, it's just that state tort law cannot be applied in, in this context because it intrudes on other states and on the federal government. The EPA has authority to require oil companies to provide disclosures as to the harms of fossil fuels? Well, they have the power to establish emission standards. With respect to misrepresentations, again, the misrepresentations here are only relevant to this case because plaintiffs say those misrepresentations, which we don't agree with, but I'm accepting everything they say 
on its, on its face as true for this, for these purposes. The only relevance of them are that they, according to plaintiffs, increased emissions to an amount that's unreasonable. So it's all about the level of global emissions and emissions in the United States. That's for the EPA to regulate. They're the expert agency. And, and so that's the problem. And it doesn't matter what cause of action. Judge, Judge Crabtree in footnote one of his dismissal order said this, that they have a bunch of theories of tort, but they all come down to the fact that the alleged misrepresentations uh, increased global warming and caused injury. And we recognize the importance of these issues of climate change and how to grapple with them. But this tort lawsuit is not a, a constitutionally permissible way to do it. And it's not going to achieve any of the objectives. Um, and I, I would add that here, plaintiffs are not seeking to just impose damages on the defendants for their actions. They're seeking to impose damages based on the actions of millions and billions of people around the world and what, where they engaged in everyday activity, powered the world, powered modern life, and they're gonna put all the consequences of that on these companies without uh, any basis way for them to avoid liability other than to follow Hawaii law. And that's just not constitutionally permissible. What about causation? Wouldn't, wouldn't the analysis of causation address some of the concerns you just expressed? or? Was there a substantial cause of the harm in Hawaii, or do you believe that that wouldn't be a meaningful guardrail? It wouldn't, Your Honor. I know Judge Crabtree relied on that, the substantial factor test and, and the like. What their argument is, is that if there's some activity in Hawaii and some emissions in Hawaii, and those emissions mixed in with the greenhouse gases around the world, that tags the defendants for all the consequences of all the global admissions, emissions. That's their theory. And, if, and again, I go back to their complaint. I started to list in my, my outline the paragraphs, and it's too many. There, it, it, but you know, paragraph four, paragraph nine, paragraph 10, paragraph 35, paragraph 171, all the claims for relief are all about the global warming around the world, the, and I think they say the cascading consequences of that, and then the injury alleged to have occurred here. So the substantial factor test, the way they're arguing it, um, just doesn't um, doesn't provide any sort of limit that would avoid the um, federal, federalism and, and constitutional problems. Can I ask you, would, would you agree that if we were not talking about this sort of backdrop of, of displacement of federal common law, and if we were just looking at the Clean Air Act, does the Clean Air Act uh, preempt actions of the kind that we have here? Yes, Your Honor, and that's our really our third argument, that um, courts, including the Fourth Circuit, in an opinion by Justice Judge Wilkinson in the North Carolina case, and other courts have said that the Clean Water Act preemption analysis uh, transfers readily over to the Clean Air Act. And here, the Clean Air Act vests with the EPA, as the Supreme Court said in AEP, the power to regulate emissions. That's not an area where federal federal torts can be brought or federal courts can get involved, and it's certainly not an area where state courts can get involved uh, or state legislatures for that matter. And there are, as I said, that's not to say there aren't areas where the state uh, can legislate. In fact, Hawaii has passed, an, as the Hawaii amicus brief points out, a number of statutes to, to reduce emissions, to, re, uh, to um, keep emissions down, and other states have done that too. That's the way the road under the Clean Air Act, that the cooperative federalism, each state limiting and addressing these issues within their state. Um, and um, both the North Carolina case and uh, Wallet and City of New York itself talked about the fact, this goes back to your question, Chief Justice, that there is a sliver, a slim reservoir, where one person sues another person uh, from another state they can sue in their own state, but the law of that other state must apply. And the reason is, when you have interstate ambient air, um, it, it, it would be um, violating the rights of, say, North Dakota if Hawaii applied its law to a company in North Dakota that was, a, was adhering to North Dakota law on failure to warn levels of emissions. Um, and North Dakota has its prerogatives to, to regulate those issues. That's why only the law of the source state could apply. That's what's not preempted. But this claim, it 
they don't try to do it because it would be impossible. We'd have to apply the law of every jurisdiction in the world. And so we do believe the Clean Air Act would preempt here. What about personal jurisdiction? I know um, we, we obviously have read the briefs and are familiar with all the arguments. Anything you'd like to emphasize on that point? I would, Your Honor, because I think it's closely related to the arguments uh, on the, the federalism arguments and the city of New York argument. That here, this is not like the Ford Motor case where a company produced a product, it made its way into a state where the company does business, sells the same product, the product malfunctioned and injured a part, a citizen or a person in the state. Here, the products didn't malfunction. They were used around the world as intended um, and they were, um, they did not come into the state and cause injury. That's not their theory. And the activities that plaintiffs allege in their complaint regarding the in-state activities, they, they don't allege any specific misstatements or consumers. They do, and I know this is a notice pleading state. They say that there were misrepresentations in the state. If they could find one, I bet they would have included it because they include back half a century. And so under the relationship test of the Supreme Court and this court in Shaw and the um, Six Flags, North versus Six Flags, conduct that's in-state, that's incidentally related to the cause of action is not enough to impose personal jurisdiction, specific personal jurisdiction. So with that, I will reserve for rebuttal. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Boutros. Mr. Schur. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. This is our complaint. It's our case. It's not Mr. Boutros's. And our theory of the case, which Judge Crabtree uh, held we could take to tr could proceed towards trial, is that the defendant's failure to warn, combined with their decades of disinformation and dissembling, were substantial factors both in Hawaii and elsewhere in causing the, uh, the injuries that, that these plaintiffs complain of. Let me engage immediately on the preemption issue first, as Mr. Boutros did. And I want to do what Judge Thompson in the First Circuit uh, in the Rhode Island case did and do a what... Uh, Even if what Mr. Boutros says about federal common law still existing is true, and even if uh, uh, that common law and the Clean Air Act somehow were intended to address the kinds of deception and disinformation claims at issue in this case, a preemption analysis still includes the Supreme Court has instructed repeatedly in cases like Manium and Boyle, that a reviewing court in a preemption case view the specific state claim being asserted in light of particular federal uh, obligations. And where, and this is what the court said in Boyle, where the defendant could comply with both its federal law obligations and state prescribed duties, there's no preemption. Even if everything Mr. Boutros said is true, there is no conflict between telling the truth and warning about dangers of which these companies were aware for decades and complying with whatever federal obligations on the pollution side are imposed by federal law, whether it's common law, which, which Baltimore, Rhode Island, and the Boulder case all held had been displaced by the Clean Air Act and no longer exists, or any obligations uh, 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 under the Clean Air Act itself. And we have examples of those. What, what's your response to his argument that Hawaii would, in essence, be imposing its view of what um, truthful marketing is on jurisdictions across the country and indeed around the globe that well, it's, be it, 
exerting an outsized and unintended influence in this area. Yeah, sorry, Mr. Chief Justice. I, um, I, I, dis I respectfully disagree with that. Our federal system contemplates both that out-of-state and even international actors can cause harm within individual states and be held accountable under that state's tort law. And there are differences among the states in different tort law. Uh, for example, nuisance law varies from state to state. And in one state, as in California, for example, wrongful promotion can constitute participating in the creation of a nuisance, and we believe the same is true in Hawaii. In other states, nuisance is restricted to certain land-based conduct, property-based conduct, and, uh, and there's no remedy. So the plaintiffs in different states have to uh, pursue remedies under the laws of those states. And the Supreme Court has made clear, and I'm, I apologize, I was trying to think of the case as I was speaking, that that kind of variation among state laws is not, uh, it's part of our federal system. And the need of a, or the desire of a private defendant corporation that does business everywhere for its convenience and in an interest in uniformity is not does not rise to the level of a federal interest that would constitute preemption. Is the complaints theory relate only to misrepresentations made in Hawaii or misrepresentations more broadly across the country or around the world? In other words, once we get past the pleading stage, um, is it envisioned that there would be liability for representations made throughout the United States, or it would just be the effect of misrepresentations made here in Hawaii? It's both, Your Honor. And the reason is that the tortious conduct, wherever it occurred, has caused the injury in this state. And we, we cited uh, a number of cases. The one that comes to mind now is Young v. Massey, in which uh, the Supreme Court said that nuisance liability can attach to an out-of-state actor uh, for in-state um, in harms. And there are uh, several groups of cases that have been, that, that we discussed in our brief that I want to mention briefly here. The Clean Air Act reduces pollution. It addresses pollution behavior. It does not provide a safe ha haven for international corporations to dissemble and lie about their products, which is what the defense argument boils down to here. In the MTBE case, also from the Second Circuit, for example, the plaintiff city of New York, um, uh, which I represented in that case actually, um, brought state law claims for nuisance, trespass, failure to warn, and other negligence typed uh, claims for the oil company's decision to add a gasoline compound called methyl tertiary butyl ether, or MTBE, to gasoline. And the reason the companies had added the gas, that compound to gasoline was an effort to comply with Clean Air Act requirements that gasoline in certain particularly polluted areas of the country, which went across state lines, um, for instance, the greater New York metropolitan area included New Jer parts of New Jersey. The this MTBE was added to gasoline in order to help it burn cleaner. It also was an exquisite groundwater contaminant, and Exxon and other defendants knew that and didn't tell anybody about it. And they alleged, or they asserted, a preemption defense based on the fact that they were complying with the Clean Air Act and they couldn't be held liable under state tort laws for, uh, for environmental harm that had ensued. And the Second Circuit affirmed a verdict for the city holding that that, that the mere use of MTBE in gasoline was not the basis for tort liability. It was the failure to warn and the failure to store with adequate care and those kinds of things that supported liability. And because, it, because the companies could comply with both obligations, the federal obligation with respect to clean air and the state tort obligations, no preemption.
and the Oxygenated Fuels Association case from the Ninth Circuit, which we also discussed at some length in our brief, California banned MTBE from gasoline because of concern over contamination with water supplies. And the uh, Oil Industry Fuel Association sued, claiming that it was preempted because the Clean Air Act had required the addition of uh, an oxygenate, including MTBE, to gasoline. And the court said, no, one addresses water and the other addresses air. And the argument that it could cause some market disruption is not part of the Clean Air Act's mandate to control. And so uh, even though the defendants had argued that, it did not, um, it did not constitute preemption. This would be an argument that there's no preemption by the Clean Air Act. Correct, Your Honor. What is your response to the argument that um, federal common law in this area has been displaced but still retains um, an effect or an ability to um, I get preempt? I don't know. That's a term of art, but to preclude state law claims from being brought. Yeah, there's no basis in any of the cases uh, to, to support that, Your Honor. Uh, and the reason is, as AEP explains, there's a substantial difference between displacement of judge-made federal common law by congressional action in which the, the barrier to displacement is very low. That is, all Congress has to do to displace a previously recognized federal common law is address the general topic that the federal that the judge-made rules had applied to. There's a distinction between that and preemption, which is a, uh, a deliberate decision by Congress to, um, to end a state remedy, uh, and in which it's a high burden, it's highly disfavored, it involves, it has to involve an examination, as I started by saying, between the specific state interest and the specific federal provision. And, and uh, a defendant cannot be able to comply with both. So, um, A, there is no zombie federal common law that comes back after Congress acts in an area. And by the way, the, the frequent references to constitutional structure and uh, the constitutional interests behind, well, in, 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 if there is a constitutional interest involved, it has, hasn't been identified. It hasn't been compared to the, what, what the Attorney General's amicus brief pointed out were the very strong state interests in providing for failures to warn for dangerous uh, products and protecting plaintiffs from injury. And let me ask you this. You know, we talk about the zombie law. I mean, I, I think probably what you're talking about is the CAA coming in and sweeping uh, federal common law under the carpet. That federal common law suddenly resurfaces um, to preempt or displace uh, uh, state common law. And is that a distinction um, that uh, you can make as far as City of New York and how City of New York uh, flavor that case? Well, in other words, they seem to do a two step there. And, and it seems like you're arguing that you, know, you can't just die and come alive to wreak havoc. That's, that's right. And what, what the Supreme Court said in AEP and in Milwaukee 2 and in Willette is that once Congress speaks, the pre-existing federal common law disappears. And um, so to the extent that the Second Circuit found otherwise, it was a, uh, which, which it did with respect to foreign relations, uh, I think there was an error there because Section 115 of the Clean Air Act actually addresses foreign uh, emissions of pollutants. But I think the more fundamental part about, or the, sorry, the more fundamental point, Justice Eddins, about City New York is that it's not our case. It's a very different case. And reading our complaint in the manner most favorable to us, as Rule 12b-6 requires, our theory is that defendants' failure to warn and deceptive promotion is the foundation of our claims, and that is tortious, unlawful behavior. In the city of New York, 
it's a, it was fundamentally different. And the city expressly told the Second Circuit that it's, and I'm quoting now, that its particular theory of the claims assumes that defendants' business activities have substantial social utility and does not hinge on a finding that those activities themselves were unreasonable or violated any obligation other than to pay compensation. That was the brief for the appellant, and we cited that in our brief. Second Circuit, the Second Circuit then held, taking the city at its word, that this meant that New York's lawsuits sought to impose strict liability for lawful operations and conduct. And as a result, the defendants could not avoid ongoing liability unless they ceased global fossil fuel production altogether, and that if that happened, it was regulating interstate emissions. Our case is different. Our case is not based on lawful commercial conduct. It's based on tortious commercial conduct. It's based on wrongdoing. And the causation analysis will look at what Hawaii would have been like without the failure to warn and the, uh, and the campaign of deception that's laid out in the lawsuit, in the complaint, and what the world does look like with those. So it's our burden as we move forward towards trial to prove, to meet our burden of showing that the defendant's tortious conduct was a substantial cause of the injuries that we've suffered. Mr. Chair, I did want to ask you about that um, because um, it, there is some language in the city of New York case that uh, there's a sentence in there, artful pleading cannot transform the city's complaint into anything other than a suit over global greenhouse gas emissions. Now, you say that your complaint uh, is crafted in a way that um, the claims are based on a failure to warn and uh, uh, the deception and disinformation uh, uh, disseminated by the, the, the oil companies. Um, but aren't the damages that you are seeking the uh, result of, you're going to argue, is a result of these global greenhouse gas emissions? So isn't there an argument that you're artfully uh, uh, crafting your pleading in a way to get around the, the city of New York ruling. I, I do, well, one always learns from the mistakes <laughs> of others in the past. That's, and, and as Judge Crabtree said, that's how the tort law evolves. And, uh, so I don't know whether it's artfully done or not. The, the point is that this case is, is about the tortious behavior, whereas the city of New York case was not. And our burden, again, will be to show that the failures to warn happen. And by the way, Mr. Boutros's client, Exxon, has more than 80 gas stations in Hawaii. And they operated a refinery. They have bulk storage facilities from which they serve and sell product. And they have never warned. And they didn't argue that they ever warned about what their experts internally told them about the consequences of continued use of their products. And the defendants, as we, as we describe in the complaint, have engaged in national uh, advertising communications and, and, and strategies to attack science and scientists and... and uh, Mr. Schur, so I understand, you know, again, sort of circling back a little bit to the <coughs> city of New York. So, you know, your, your distinguished is different claims. That's one distinguishment than for sort of this, the two-step analysis. But, you know, when you, I, I guess, argue, you know, you're not seeking to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and, and I think the briefing says, uh, you know, something, well, it says, you know, so long as the defendants start warning about uh, their products, climate impacts, and stop spreading climate uh, disinformation, then they can sell as much fossil fuel products as they uh, so desire without incurring further liability. Um, so we have a, and, and your city of New York is different because we have a different claim, but I'm just wondering, you know, what, what is the remedy you're seeking? Are, are, you know, is it ads on gas pumps or, or what exactly, uh, is the remedy here? Your Honor, um, Justice Edens, these plaintiffs, the city and county of Honolulu and the Board of Water Supply 
have tremendous responsibilities. They deliver critical services and steward vital resources, including water, highways, infra infrastructure of all kinds. The costs to them of, of defendants' tortious conduct is threats to the freshwater aquifers, um, injuries to critical infrastructure. We've already lost 25% of Oahu's beaches, and we've had da damage to county roads from coastal erosion. So compensation in this case will not solve climate change, but it will help this community survive it by providing funds to adapt repair, strengthen resilience, and move forward. And that's what the remedy is. It's, it's payments for the injuries suffered by these public entities in Hawaii as a result of the defendant's tortious conduct in state and elsewhere. But doesn't that necessarily and almost explicitly um, arise from interstate emissions? I mean, that'll be a question of fact on causation at trial. But, but even if you grant the premise that most of the conduct that caused the harm took place outside of Hawaii, that's not a bar to recovery here. Young v. Massey, the BMW v. Gore case, um, most recently the, uh, the, the case cited by the Attorney General, uh, pork producers, those cases all say that a state has a strong interest in protecting its citizens and its resources, and out-of-state defendants who cause harm in the state can be hailed here as a matter of personal jurisdiction, and they can face liability if the plaintiffs meet their burdens. So the causation is really just a matter for um, litigation at trial. the city must prove the causation. We have laid out a prima facie causation case in the complaint. And we have described in paragraphs 148 to, uh, I think it's 148 to 154, the impacts that have occurred. And if you look at our uh, descriptions in the claims for relief uh, for nuisance, um, trespass, and failure to warn, we describe how the defendant's conduct relates to those claims. So, for example, they participated in the creation of the, uh, of the nuisance through their failure to warn and their uh, decades of uh, dissembling and disinformation. And the failure to warn is, is uh, actually Judge Crabtree put that out pretty well in his opinion. You know, they, they had a duty to disclose what any manufacturer is required to do when they know of dangers with their product. They have to make a warning commensurate with the risk. And these defendants never did. You can think of how Hawaii would have been different if they had stood up 50 years ago and said, if, if you use our products unabated, you, your islands are going to be destroyed. And what they have done is they have deprived these public entities of the opportunity to make choices and control their future. You know, we haven't talked so much about personal jurisdiction. That was the second argument that Mr. Boutros is making. But tell me about the defendant's conducts and whether they relate to the sale or use of fossil fuels. Well, I alluded to the 80 gas stations, refinery, and bulk storage facilities that Chevron has. And that, if you look at paragraph 23H of the complaint, Uh, it describes all of the, act the activities that we're aware of at this point before we have had a chance to do discovery. Right. But I mean, and it does seem that the action is connected to misleading consumers. They should have warned about the dangers of uh, using fossil fuel products. So, uh, I mean, do you have anything to say uh, in response to Mr. Boutros's argument that, hey, look, uh, there is no specific jurisdiction that 
doesn't relate. I mean, it seems like Ford Motors are pretty uh, helpful case to you. Ford Motors is on all fours and controls as, uh, and, and uh, Justice Eddins, your opinion in the Yamashita case where you informed the Ninth Circuit that indeed this court applies the same disjunctive uh, test uh, also controls here. Um, the, the primary argument, and Mr. Boutros made it expressly during his time, is that Hawaii is too small to matter and that there's no jurisdiction because the state's contribution to greenhouse gases is minuscule and climate change would be unaffected even if their products had never come here. I'm talking about this now from a personal jurisdiction standpoint. The problem is for them that Hawaii was big enough for them to invest in the market here to promote and sell their fossil fuel products here and to engage in the activities here that are related to those fossil fuels, which are exactly the ones that are complained about in the complaint. So in terms of a relationship between their in-forum fossil fuel activities on the one hand and the claims in the complaint, it could not be more direct. And... The injury is large here. The tortious failures to warn and the campaign of deception in connection with the very products they produce, market, and, and, and sell in Hawaii and elsewhere have imposed enormous burdens, as I was describing before, and those are laid out in the, in the paragraphs of the complaint about the impacts on the plaintiffs. Now, their argument raises a causation issue, which Ford instructs us expressly is an alternative, not a necessary part of the personal jurisdiction calculus. And um, in fact, in Ford, in Ford, the case, Ford, the defendant, argued there was no jurisdiction because plaintiff's claims would be the same if defendants had no presence in Montana or Minnesota, and the Supreme Court expressly rejected that argument. Mr. Boutros said, that there's no allegation that, the, that there was a, that a malfunctioned product in the state and that this was a distinction that he sought to draw. If it is a distinction, it's one without a difference. The products were rendered defective under the theory of our complaint by their failure to warn, and that failure to warn occurred in Hawaii, and that conduct occurred in Hawaii in connection with their wrongful promotion and marketing here as elsewhere and the claims asserted by the plaintiffs here turn on the same products and conduct and conduct in Hawaii as elsewhere. Mr. My sure, your, your claim at trial will relate to marketing activities worldwide. Do, do I understand that correctly? Yes. So what if under the law of other jurisdictions, the marketing was not found to be problematic or deceptive? What, what would happen if if the state of Texas, for example, says that that you know for from 1970 until 2017 there was no duty to disclose anything, I'm, and I'm not picking on Texas. I just pick, chose that as a my wife's example. from Texas. Yeah, and, and but you know another state, another nation is that that nation then will or state will be carved out of of the damages calculation. How does that work? Because you know, it seemed initially like this was a very narrow action that was focusing on marketing here, but now if it's marketing everywhere, how is that supposed to, how is that supposed to work in terms of different standards that might exist in all those other states? Let me answer that in two ways. First, as the Attorney General pointed out in, in the amicus brief from the state, Hawaii has a very strong interest in, in protecting its interests and the interests of its citizen on truthful marketing and, and warnings, adequate warnings. Think, Your, Your Honor, that either the standard will be whether the conduct was tortious here, which is, I believe, the general rule from, from cases. And, and in fact, the pork producers case says that. It says the out-of-state pork producers have to comply with California's standards for humane raising of pigs. Um, and I think that is the 
nature of doing business for these, what Justice Gorsuch called these uh, global behemoths, is that uh, that's, how, that's how they do business. Now, if they don't want to be hailed into court in Hawaii, they could choose not to do business here. But when they purposely avail themselves of this market and the benefits of doing so, then they can be called into account here under Hawaii law for uh, injuries that they cause here. My uh, my light has been shining at me for a few moments, and I you have a little more time, so feel feel free to cover any other issues or wrap wrap up as you see fit. Your Your Honor, I I think as I mentioned before, there are differences among states in liability, and I think that the major implication of Texas saying that it's okay for corporations to not warn and to lie would be that Texas injured plaintiffs could not bring claims there. Nor, under the Bristol-Myers case, could they bring their claims in Hawaii. But Hawaiians can bring their claims here. There's no better court for them. And any limits that are put on their ability to formulate and prove their claim will be, uh, will be things to work out as a matter of causation and other defenses as we head towards trial, but not on a motion to dismiss, which is the only thing before the court now. Your Honor, this is a big case, and it's an important case. And those, don't make, those factors don't make the case either a federal case or one that we're not entitled to prove. And as just Judge Crabtree pointed out, our claims are well-tethered to well-established and robust state law claims uh, in which uh, uh, these plaintiffs um, have been injured seriously and they should be entitled to, to prove their case. You should, you should affirm on both the jurisdiction and the preemption issues. Thank you very much, Mr. Schur. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Boutros, your rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. I'm going to. I'm gonna, well, we're going to switch out the mic. Thank you, thank you sir. Thank you, um, Your Honors. I'm going to begin my rebuttal where I began my opening argument with City of New York, because City of New York was not different than this case. Of course, the city argued that there was tortious behavior. It brought a nuisance claim and a trespass claim the exact same arguments that were here. What Mr. I argued City of New York and I argued in this court, uh, believe me, they argued there were torts. What they, what they were saying was that there was commercial activity. Selling oil and gas is not illegal. It's, it's a very valuable thing we're grappling well, you with. You know, I just want to make sure I understand. Yes. You are arguing that City of New York, which seems to say that federal common law still exists, um, that federal common law still exists pursuant to the city of New York, and that preempts these claims. What city of New York? That's one of your arguments. Is that right? Not, not quite, Your Honor. Our argument is that city of New York correctly found that state law never could apply in this context. Why? On what basis? Because of the interstate and international uh, nature of the claims. Because of federal. You're just saying that general concept, not federal common law and not the CAA. Step two of the analysis is it's governed by federal law. So theoretically, plaintiffs could have brought a federal common law claim, except for the fact that the Supreme Court and the Ninth Circuit and the Second Circuit have held that the Clean Air Act displaces how would, federal law. How would you distinguish uh, this situation from, let's say, pharmaceuticals that are distributed around the world. Pharmaceuticals are distributed around the world, but the product causes injury in the state, and then someone can sue even if the product was made somewhere else. And if I can, Your Honor, because this really goes to the, the crux of the effort to distinguish City of New York. In City of New York, I'm just going to give you a few examples. I mean, some of these, it's almost like they cut and pasted from the complaint. Um, we, the, it, at least 10 pages, pages 51 through 62 of the city of New York complaint, were on deception and the, ca the causes of it. And we cited the PACER uh, site for the complaint. In city of New York, paragraph 6, they argue defendants orchestrated a campaign of deception and denial regarding climate change. Here, Honolulu, paragraph 3, they say, plaintiffs suffer consequences of defendants' campaign of deception. In New York, paragraph 93, 
this is in the section on this very issue, that defendants misled the public about climate change, and despite their knowledge of this fundamental science, uh, they continued to sell products. Here, Honolulu says, despite defendants' knowledge, the harms associated with unabated consumption and use continue. They talked in here about a campaign to obscure, that's paragraph 128. As your honor mentioned, the Second Circuit, this wasn't a passing reference, it was the fundamental theory in the city of New York. Second Circuit explicitly noted that this was their claim, that the companies had known for decades. And I should note that the complaint here shows that the city and county probably knew about these issues too. They cite all this public information. And let me get you to give you one more example. New York, paragraph six, uh, defendants engaged in campaign to discredit the mainstream scientific consensus. New York, paragraph 94, notwithstanding defendants' knowledge, defendants have engaged in advertising and communication campaigns. And then in uh, paragraph 94, they use, again, the sort of discredited language, same exact paragraph as the, the New York so complaint. The New York complaint also alleged direct uh, claims based on emissions as opposed to uh, misrepresentations or omissions. Yeah. It, it, it does, but the complaint here, Your Honor, is all about emissions and the, and the consequences of global emissions. That from start to finish, that's why I said I tried to create a little handy list for the court, but every single paragraph, it's all about global emissions. And that's why City of New York said that, the, you know, that however you slice it, they say on the one hand, oh, we're not talking about emissions, we're only talking about misrepresentations. The misrepresentations, they claim, caused more emissions globally and to your point, Your Honor, the reason federal law applies here is because of the conflicting state laws. That he, Mr. Sherry admitted he's going to try and collect damages based on conduct in Texas that was lawful and perhaps encouraged based on Hawaii. How, again, does, does that differ from the pharmaceutical cases? Because there, Your Honor, the pharmaceutical company would have sold a drug in Hawaii. Based on warnings that were prescribed by the FDA and or another state says that those warnings are adequate. Another state says, no, those warnings were not adequate. Okay, and yeah. you can get tort, file a, uh, pursue a tort claim based on the inadequate warnings under state law that differ from what the federal court, federal FDA says and or what another state says. Absolutely, Your Honor. So those states could say, no, we think they are, those warnings are inadequate and they could award damages. Or they could say they weren't to a particular plaintiff in a particular state who was injured in that state. The difference here is they're a challenging conduct around the world. Mr. Sherry admitted it. That it's conduct around the world, the emissions around the world, were con and this is, this is the essence of why federal law governs according to the Supreme Court. Mr. Boudreau, yes. with respect to your position on the Clean Air Act, is it your position that every state action, because there is the Clean Air Act, has been uh, subject to uh, being uh, exempted, there, that there, the federal government has completely filled the field? Your Honor, our position is that Every claim that challenges global emissions as the mechanism, to use the plaintiff's word, of, of their injury is, uh, is preempted by and displaced by the Clean Act, Rare Act, whether it's asserted under federal or state law. But I'm sorry, but, go ahead. Not all federal, claim, federal claims made under the Clean Air Act would be uh, appropriate in federal court, but not all state action in regulating emissions within a particular state um, are preempted by it because California has its own yes. regulations and the Clean Air Act assumes that both states and other entities and even private individuals can file suit for enforcement. Absolutely, so, Your Honor. That's so in this particular case, if you're not talking about, uh, say, particulate matter or the content of fuel, which the EPA has regulated and set standards for, if your companies are complying with those standards, but yet are not being truthful in their advertising or providing misinformation about the lethality and the ultimate impact of the product, is compliance with the EPA then uh, make you immune 
from actions? No, Your Honor. I'm not saying that we were, we're immune. Again, the EPA has enforcement powers. Plaintiffs, states can go to the EPA, file petitions, as Your Honor mentioned. Uh, states, and this is what I was going to say, Your Honor, that states do have authority under the Clean Air Act to regulate within the state emissions within the state. Hawaii's taken those actions, which is commendable, to try to reduce emissions. But the, what's not allowed, Your Honor, is a claim in Hawaii based on worldwide activity uh, projecting Hawaii law. He, Ms. Council mentioned BMW versus Core. That was the exact holding in BMW. They seek punitive damages here. They want to punish these companies for lawfully selling a valuable product that the world needs to use to, to succeed for our national security, for the, the modern life. They want to punish that based on Hawaii law all around the country, including where it's legal. That is not permitted by the federal constitution. But the Clean Air Act doesn't cover misrepresentations. It doesn't the Clean Air Act regulates emissions and uses the state and the state's ability to um, measure and regulate within the state. It's a cooperative action by both the federal government and state entities to apply and enforce the Clean Air Act. Absolutely, Your Honor. And City of New York and AEP made that exact point. The states can regulate within the state to reduce emissions within the state. This tort action seeks to reduce emissions around the globe based on this failure to warn and the other tort theories by punishing companies by extracting huge sums of money to stop them from engaging in conduct in those other states that may be lawful there. Very well. Any other questions? Anything further for the court, Mr. Boutreau? Thank you so much for hearing us. Much appreciated. Thank you, Thank Mr. Boutros, Mr. Schur, for your arguments today. The court will take this matter under advisement. Eku Iluna, please rise. Ua ho'oku ia mai ne ke aha ho'okolo kolo ki ke hanohano okamoku aina ho'o Hawaii. This honorable Supreme Court of the State of Hawaii is now adjourned.